at a couple other passages first to see uh, kind of what the New Testament has to say in some areas, and then we're going to go back into Proverbs and really spend some time just looking at uh, a bunch of verses um, that mainly Solomon wrote uh, that hopefully will help us as we think through the idea of our speech and the impact that our words can have. Uh, you guys finish these sentences for me. Think before you, if you can't say anything nice, sticks and stones can break my bones. Two of those are true statements that we need to think on. One of those is a lie. Because who has, who has been hurt by words before? We all have. And we grow up with this mentality that, oh, your words don't affect me, they don't bother me. But the reality is, words are often what keep us awake at night. When somebody has said something, the way that somebody has said something, or maybe the things that we have even said ourselves. And so we should think before we, we speak. If we can't say anything nice, there are times where we shouldn't say anything at all. And the truth is that sticks and stones can break your bones, but the truth is also there that words actually do hurt. And so as we go through this idea of words tonight, I hope it'll be a help to us um, and that God would speak to our hearts about the areas in our lives where we have become maybe slack in our words and uh, things that, that maybe we let roll off our lips that shouldn't roll off our lips. But let's have a word of prayer and then we'll, we'll uh, jump into this together. God, we thank you again for this time that we can gather tonight. Um, I, I do pray that you'd help us to take an honest uh, estimation or evaluation of our, our words that we speak. And God, truthfully, we all speak a lot. And, and oftentimes we speak into other people's lives in ways that it, it could be harmful to them. Um, God, I pray that, that we would make sure that our words are seasoned with salt, that they would minister grace to the hearers. God, that we would not speak uh, out of turn, that we would not speak about subject matter that we're not experts on, but, but that we would have hearts that desire to learn and, and listen more than we have lips that are uh, ready to give man's wisdom. So help us tonight, God, to, to look into our hearts and uh, just even examine the, the conversations that we've had maybe even over the past week. Certainly, if we think over our lives, God, we would be very discouraged of the words that we've said. But I, I do thank you for your forgiveness, even in this area of words, God, because we do live in a fallen world, and we do have hearts that often wander. But as we go through this tonight, God, I pray that you'd help us to center our thoughts on you, focus our minds on you, so that the things that we speak would be edifying to those who hear, even if we have to speak hard things. God, we thank you for your word, that it speaks to these areas of life, and I pray that we would uh, listen to what it has to say in this moment now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Those three sayings that we started with, uh, think before you speak, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all, and the sticks and stones phrase, all of those things focus on the idea of words. And as I said, the last one is false because we all have been hurt by words, and the truth is the same, that we've all hurt somebody with our words. And sometimes it is intentional, and that's to our shame. Uh, sometimes it's unintentional, and it, it just goes to remind us that we really have to be calculated in how we speak and when we speak. Uh, my younger brother uh, is the type that he doesn't speak much, but when he speaks, you listen, because he typically has something to say, uh, and his words are typically very calculated uh, in, in any given circumstance. Um, there's other people in my family, I won't name them because they're here in this room with me, okay, it's me, um, 
Sometimes I, I speak more than I should, right? I, I open my mouth in scenarios where I shouldn't open my mouth. And uh, as I studied through this, um, it was eye-opening to me to just think through how I use my words because words are a gift, aren't they? To, to be able to use words to express your love for somebody or to have somebody express their love for you, that is a beautiful thing that God has allowed us to do. But with the very same tongue, we can also tear somebody down. And so we have to think through the words that we speak. We have to think through how we speak and what we say. Uh, and as I said a moment ago, we have all hurt people with our words and people have hurt us with their words, but that doesn't give us a right in any, at any time to use our words as a weapon um, because that's not what God has intended them to be. Certainly, they can be used as a sword, but a sword from the biblical perspective is not a weapon to do harm what is it? It's something to bring healing, as the Proverbs would say. It's something to bring health. And so as we think through this idea of words, I pray that we would consider our words, how we use our words, uh, what we talk about, how much we talk, and uh, if, if we're using our words to promote the idea of the gospel. Uh, the Oxford Dictionary estimates that there are currently over 170,000 words in current use. Uh, anybody taken a vocab test recently? Um, probably we would fail if some of these words were flashed on the screen, knowing their meaning or knowing how to use them. Uh, and following that statistic of 170,000 current words in use, there's about 47,000 words that are obsolete. And so if you combine those, that's, that's a lot of words. And uh, on, a, on a daily basis, the estimation is that people speak between 6,000 and 16,000 words a day. Um, I'm guessing the lower end is the men and the higher end is the women. I don't know. That's just my thoughts initially. Uh, but that's a lot of words that we say over the course of a year. And so uh, over the course of a lifetime, that would be the equivalent of speaking over 860 million words. Think about that. 860 million words that would come out of your mouth in a lifetime. That statistic, as I, as I looked at it, was a little bit shocking to me only because I never have to think in numbers that big, right? My bank account is not there. And so anytime I see anything over $100, I'm like, wow, that's a lot of money. Um, but as, as we think about those statistics, and then we think about the purpose of words and how we use our words and the things that we convey with our words, it really calls us to, to reflect um, on what we've accomplished with our words. And we can all think through times in our lives, again, where, where somebody has ministered to us with their words. We can all think through times in our life where somebody has hurt us with their words. And as that's true with other people to us, we have to also understand that it's true with us towards other people. And so I, I, I do hope again tonight that this will be helpful to us. And we, we certainly talk a lot. And uh, as we think about talking, we must ask the question of if we're stewarding this ability to speak that God has given us well. I like the idea of stewarding in the Bible because it gives us a, a, a physical way or a tangible way to, to understand concepts that aren't necessarily physical. So um, speaking, you can't see words, right, unless you write them down, but speaking, you can't see the words. But as we think about stewarding, if, if we were talking about money, we would understand that I'm going to spend and, and try to save. I'm going to use my money wisely. And so as we think about stewarding our words... The, the natural outflow of that would simply be, I'm going to speak wisely. I'm going to use the opportunities that God has given me to speak to make sure that I'm, I'm 
accomplishing something with those words rather than just running off at the mouth. And so uh, as we think about this idea of stewarding words, I would start with a question tonight. How can we steward the gift of words in our lives? What are your thoughts on this, this matter? How can we steward the gift of words that God has given us? Justin. Yeah, that's an, an excellent way to steward the words that God has given. Somebody else? Yeah, encourage those along the way. We think of Barnabas, right, in the New Testament. Certainly was an encourager through his words uh, as, he, as he dealt with difficult situations. Somebody else? That's a big one, filtering what we say through Scripture. Um, anybody else? Gina? That's an excellent one, teaching your children. Good investment there. Somebody else? Matt? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, have you ever gotten yourself in trouble because you didn't think before you spoke? Even in, in simple ways where it's not even sinful, um, if you have kids, you often have to think before you speak, um, because if you say to your kids you might do something, what does that mean? It's definitely happening, and it's probably happening within the next five minutes, right? And so you've got to be careful. Think before you speak. Um, and, and as a dad, um, you know, we think of, of making promises in the world, and keeping promises is really a, a good reflection of the reality that we are God's children because he keeps all of his promises. So as his children, if we keep our promises, we're reflecting his goodness. But even to my own children, how many times have we as parents said, we'll do it later, we'll do it tomorrow, and then tomorrow rolls around and that thing that they were banking on doing that to you is not a big deal, but to them is a very big deal, doesn't happen. And, and we just have to be careful in how we steward those words that God has given us. Anybody else? Any thoughts on this idea of how we can steward the gift of words that God has given us? Nikki. Yep, absolutely. I, I like the phrase, um, oh, I just lost it. Maybe I shouldn't have said it. I don't know. Seth, what were you going to say? I don't know if this is related, but I have a coworker that you ask him a question. He can spend half an hour answering what could only take 30 seconds. <laughs> and, like, I was just thinking the economy of words is mm. like, Absolutely. The phrase, it came back to me. I, I love the phrase or the idea of uh, listening not to respond, but listening to understand. Two very different things. And I do think we spend a lot of our time only listening to respond. How can I use what you just said against you so that I can prove my point to be true instead of actually understanding? And I think that's why I, I believe it's James that says, be swift to hear and slow to speak. Um, have that, that desire to understand before you open up your mouth. And Solomon's going to tell us quite frequently that the ones who open their mouth often are the fools. 
uh, the ones who don't have wisdom, the ones who don't use discretion. Any other thoughts on this idea of stewarding? Any? Yeah, that's good. You got two ears, one mouth, right? So listen twice as much as you speak. That's a, that's a good one. And so I, I do want to go through a couple passages in the New Testament um, to kind of set the stage for what we're going to look at in the Old Testament. And usually we do the opposite, right? We look at what was given before in the Old Testament to kind of set the stage for the New Testament. But there's some very practical teaching in the New Testament that I think is helpful here. Uh, the first passage is Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by the words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Um, and so if we think, or if we are prone to think that Jesus doesn't care about our words, I would say more than any other writer in the New Testament, Jesus cared the most about our words, about what we speak and how we speak, what we say and when we say it. And this idea of every idle word really carries the idea of useless talk or what Paul would call later on corrupt communication or uh, um, nonsense coming from our mouth. And so Jesus was calling those who would follow him to understand this idea that every idle word is going to be looked over by God. We often think about unbelievers standing in judgment but believers will stand in judgment as well. Um, it's not for our eternal security at that point, but it's, it's a judgment based on what we did since we are saved, since we are redeemed. And Jesus says every idle word that you speak is going to be brought into question. It's going to be looked at. It's going to be considered. And Jesus then goes on and says that by your words, you'll either be justified or by your words, you'll be condemned. And so that's a, a sharp saying by Jesus. And I think what he's trying to illustrate for us there is that your words prove who you are, right? We can, we can talk all we want, but if we don't ever make good on our words, um, then there's a disconnect there that shouldn't be there. So Jesus is saying you need to watch the words that you say. Christ, as he gives this warning, he's saying um, that, that we need to be careful with what we say and how we say it and when we say it, because one day we're going to stand before him. And so I would ask us, as even we begin tonight, to question, to think about how many needless things do I say? How many untrue things do I say? How many pride-filled and arrogant things do I say? How many hurtful things do I say? And if, if we were to go through our week, honestly, we'd probably be ashamed. Because even the smallest little of jabs... Um, are impacting those who listen. The, the way that we speak to our family, our kids, our spouse, even the tone in how we say things. Tone matters, doesn't it? And that's why texting is so hard sometimes because you can't read tone. You can't see facial expressions unless you use just emojis and then nobody knows what you're saying. Um, but, but those things matter. And so Jesus is saying you need to understand that every idle word is going to be called into judgment. Any thoughts on that first passage Matthew 12, 36, and 37. Bruce. And, you know, the idea of justified and condemned, as you put it, is, is not about salvation. Right. But we can receive reward, we can also reap reward. And I think that's what the, the condemnation is there. Right. And it talks about that. And as you started off with the stewardship, it's all, doesn't it's all about stewardship? Yeah. Yeah. 
I think things to Sharon with a tone and things that I wouldn't say at all yeah. to your wife. Sure. But yet I'll say them to my wife. Yeah. That's to my face. Yeah. You know? And I could say vice versa as well. <laughs> Yeah. You know, we're talking about going to somebody's house or meeting them in the street, right. not sending a text or, or using Facebook or something like that. So I think that this word thing has compounded greatly. Yeah. And even on Facebook, there's a lot of times I see truth, but the way that it is spoken yeah. is absolutely nasty. Yeah. You know, it's just nasty. Not drawing anybody to Christ through this, yeah. you know. Absolutely. Good thoughts. Anybody else? All right, the next passage then is one that we're familiar with, James chapter 3, and we'll read verses 1 through 12. I'll start reading as you're turning. He says, My brethren, be not many masters or teachers, is, is the word that James is using there, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation, or what he's saying is that we'll be judged with a greater strictness. And so the idea of condemnation in Christ's um, words in Matthew 12 and the idea of condemnation in James are really the same idea, that it's, it's a judgment that we're going to face not in an eternal way, uh, and it's not that we're going to lose what God has given us by way of our salvation, um, but it would be us forfeiting rewards that we could have had. And so that uh, condemning or that condemnation, we have to understand the, the scope of it. He goes on to say in verse 2, for in many things we offend all, if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and also able to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold the ships, behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned with a very little helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire." A world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an evil, it is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith we curse. Curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Um, we could probably spend all night just on that passage alone. And as, as James is writing there, he, he's writing to those who would be or would have a desire to be teachers, but it's also a very general passage. And James is saying you need to be cautious because we're fallen creatures, basically, basically is what he's saying. And we're, we're all constantly falling into situations that cause us to sin. And so um, he goes on to say, uh, we're we're going to offend with words. And then he gives the illustrations of the, 
the bit in the horse's mouth that turns the whole body and the rudder on the boat that turns the whole boat and it goes wherever the, the governor wants it to go. And he says, even so, a tongue is a little member. It boasts great things, but think about how great a fire it can kindle. Then he goes on in verse 6 and says, the tongue is a fire. The tongue, he goes on to say, is the thing that defiles the whole body. Remember what Jesus said a few weeks ago in Mark? It's not what goes in that defiles a man. It's what comes out that defiles a man. He goes on in verse 8 to say, the tongue can no man tame. We've, we've tamed every sort of beast that you can think of. You go to a, a zoo and you see the lion tamer. He's tamed one of the deadliest animals there is. And yet that lion tamer probably can't tame his own tongue. Says things that he shouldn't say, as we all do. He says, the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. It goes on to talk about how we bless God and we curse our brothers who are made in the likeness of God. James says these things shouldn't be so. You can't have sweet and bitter water coming out of the same place and you can't grow olive berries in a fig tree and figs in, a, in an olive tree. And so what's, what's James getting at? He's getting at this idea that if, if we have been transformed, then our speech should be transformed. That what we say matters because of the impact that it has on those around us. He, he probably gives one of the greatest discourses on the tongue of any writer of the Bible. Just this, this thought process that he carries us through, it begins with this idea of you don't want to be a teacher. Don't just be a teacher because you think it's going to be a cool thing to do, but understand if you're a teacher, you're going to face a greater condemnation or a stricter judgment because of the things you say. But then as he goes on, he's talking again to the general population and saying, hey, think about the words that you speak. Think about how you interact with people in a, a verbal manner. And think about the reality of how God desires for you to speak and, and interact with people in this world. So James has a lot to say about the tongue and the dangers of the tongue. And probably we've all experienced that in our own lives where we've had to backtrack and apologize profusely for something that we've said. Um, and what does James say? He says that's a shameful thing. But the tension that we often struggle with is that I'm justified to say what I want to say because of how I feel in the moment. That's not a biblical concept. We can't just fly off at the mouth because it's going to make us feel better because as it's making us feel better, what are we doing to those around us? We're hurting them. And so we have to be careful. We've probably all set a fire with our tongue. And why did we set a fire with our tongue? Because of what was in our hearts. Any thoughts on this passage in James? I could say a lot more, but we're going to run out of time. Bruce. No man can tame us, yep. but the Holy Spirit of God. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Yep, definitely. Anybody else? Nobody wants to speak now because every idle word is going to be brought into judgment. <laughs> All right, finally, the last passage before we get into the Proverbs would be Ephesians 4.29. And again, a familiar verse where Paul says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth 
but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. I do think there's a misconception um, when it comes to the idea of words that we can never speak harsh things. But that's not what any of these writers are saying. They're not saying you can't speak harsh truths, but they are saying you have to be careful in how you speak those harsh truths. What is your purpose? And so the idea of corrupt communication would be really anything that's filthy, anything that's, that's idle, as Jesus would have said a few moments ago, anything that, that is not um, building up. Um, because as, as we all know, if you've been around kids or you've had close friends that you've had to speak into their lives, there are times where you have to bring up difficult topics. I had a conversation with somebody afternoon, and um, they said, I, I'm thankful for the guys that I have in my life that if I said something wrong, they would call me out on those things. That's a gift. Those are good things that we should desire in our lives that we would allow somebody to speak into us. But the way that they're speaking is not, not a condemning speech saying, oh, you're an idiot because you said this, but rather it's, it's, they're seeking to minister grace to the hearers. And sometimes grace comes through difficult avenues. It comes through harsh words that are spoken in love. And so that's, that's where the phrase in the Bible comes from, that we would speak the truth in what? In love. That we don't hold back when it comes to the truth, but we speak the truth in a way that the one who's receiving it is actually going to be able to receive it as words of love rather than words of bitterness. And a lot of that has to do with your heart as the speaker. Now, can, can somebody receive words of truth given in love in a negative way and say, oh, they were being mean to me? Certainly. But that's on them. But if you as the speaker, or if I as the speaker speak in a way that is harsh and negative and, and full of criticism, that's on me. And if they can't see the love through that, well, there's no wonder they couldn't see the love through it because there probably wasn't any love in it. And so we have to be intentional in the way that we speak, not allowing corrupt communication to come out of our mouth, but our desire should be to edify and to minister grace to those that are here. I'll, I'll be honest, this is one of the things that scares me most about preaching. Um, that I never want my words to be the offense. If Scripture offends, then that's between us and the Holy Spirit, right? That, that we see what the Word says. But have you ever sat through a sermon where the preacher was offensive and not actually the Word was offensive? I think we've all been there. Yeah, we, we've all been there. We've all done that, right? We've all spoken out of turn rather than speaking with a heart of grace. And so Paul tells us we have to watch this idea of corrupt communication. Anything that, that would come from a heart that does not have the best intentions in mind for those who would hear. And, and I would agree with Bruce that there have been times where I've said things out of turn that I wish I could rewind the tape and take them back. Because it may sound good as a clip for a sermon, but if it just sounds good and it, it offends an audience, then who has gained anything in the end? Nobody has. If it sounds good but it doesn't honor the Lord because of the place that my heart was in, then who is better for it? Nobody. And so I'm thankful for, for Bruce and Matt as they preach. I know their heart is the same, that we want the word of God to shine forth, not our words to shine forth. And I think that's an important trait to have. Uh, and as I already said, I don't do it perfectly. Um, but I do think it's important desires to have 
uh, when we speak the Word of God. Any thoughts on this idea of corrupt communication um, as believers? Wow. Bruce, it's already 640. Yeah. He, he came in love, right? Absolutely. Um, some people would go in spite and talk to other people about the way that message went, but he came in love, and that's what we're supposed to do. That's what uh, a biblical brother uh, would do, and uh, that's, that's a great example. Any other thoughts? Nikki. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Noah had a, a baseball game this afternoon, and he pitched, um, and he was warming up. And after he was done warming up, the coach came out and just gave him a few pointers. And Noah walked away from that conversation encouraged to do better rather than being defeated. Why? Because of the way that the conversation went. He said, Noah, if you do this, you're, you're going to have control up and down. If you do this, you're going to have control side to side. And, and he walked away encouraged and did a good job pitching Whereas we've all, all seen a coach who has railed on a kid for something they did wrong, and the kid goes home and says, I never want to play again, right? And so communication matters. Words matter. How we speak matters. And that is seen in every, everyday life and all of our lives. So now we're going to turn to Proverbs chapter 6, and we've got about 20 minutes left. Um, Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to start with uh, a familiar section and just... Again, kind of like last week, we're going to hit a lot of things, but hit them very briefly, um, and hopefully you can chew on them as you leave. But the first thing we see is a sharp warning in Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. Familiar passage, it says, these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Um, as, a, as that passage starts, he's, he's doing that to catch your attention. Oh, these six things the Lord hate, but the seventh thing, that's a true abomination, and he's, he's trying to draw you in to understand how big of a sin these things must be. And then what does he touch on? Things that probably a lot of us do on a day-in and day-out basis. Well, some of them anyways. We, hopefully we don't shed innocent blood daily. Um, he goes on to say, A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift and running to mischief, a false witness against uh, that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Uh, the Lord hates these things. Um, let's just go with the last one. How many churches have been destroyed 
because people chose to sow discord among brothers and sisters in Christ. Tons. How many churches have been split literally down the middle where one side would not sit on the other side? I have friends that have pastored churches like that. They were literally divided. And what does it all start with? A few words that are spoken at a turn. A few uh, hearts that devise wicked imaginations and they begin to speak untruths. And maybe sometimes they even speak the truth, but it's not their truth to speak. Um, what do we call that? Gossip. Some, sometimes we know something about somebody and what does that feeling of, of knowledge give us? Power. It puffs us up a little bit. And, oh, I know you won't say anything, but did you hear about so-and-so? Oh, I'm only sharing this so we can pray together for them. If we prayed as Christians as much as we said we would pray, the world would be a different place. How many times have you or how many times have I said, oh, I'll pray for you for that, and then we walk out and never give it another thought? What is that? A lie. And so words matter. It, it, there's an old song by Stephen Curtis Chapman called Let Us Pray. And it goes through that scenario of, of telling your brother or sister that you're going to pray for them and, and really only using it as a trite saying. But he says, in the moment, why don't we just stop and pray right then? We can, we can pause what we're doing and, and send up a 30-second prayer. And at least then we're making good on our promise. If we don't pray about it again, at least we've already prayed about it. And so this idea of, of this sharp warning, these six things does the Lord hate, if, if somebody says the Lord hates something, then we should probably listen to what that is that the Lord hates. And several of these things, a lying tongue, a false witness, and he that soweth discord, and I think you could even include a heart that devises wicked imaginations in the idea of speech, because that's often where these foul words come from. So four out of the seven things have to do with the things that come out of our mouth. I think we would be wise to consider um, this sharp warning. Any thoughts on this passage in Proverbs? Gina. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Um, and, and as simple as that is... Um, who here would say that you've fallen into the gossip trap before? We all have. And it, in the moment, it feels good, right? It, it's weird. It, it gives you a strange rush to have information about somebody that you get to talk about. It, it's true. It, we wouldn't do it if it didn't feel good, right? There's a pleasure in it um, that we enjoy, oddly enough. And I think that speaks to the fallen nature of the world and the deceptiveness of our own hearts that Jeremiah speaks to. Any other thoughts on this passage? All right, we'll move on. Uh, the, the second thing is a crucial reminder in Proverbs 18, 21. Another familiar verse, you can turn there. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. I like eating fruit, uh, but I don't think the fruit that Solomon is talking about here is a fruit that we necessarily want to, to eat. Uh, the first section that we looked at in Proverbs was really him just outlining these things that the Lord hates. In every other verse that we're going to look at, Solomon's going to give a comparison, and that's how he does a lot of his Proverbs. He tells you the, the positive side and the negative side. 
And so he says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Think, think about that statement. Have I spoken more life-giving statements this week or death-giving statements? But then he goes on to say, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. What's he talking about? Talking about the consequences of our words. That if you love the idea of, of speaking untruths or speaking gossip, guess what? You're going to eat the consequences of that. One day it's going to come back to bite you. One day it's, it's going to make itself known again that you were the talebearer, that you were the one who stuck your nose in the business where it didn't belong, that you're the one who spoke out of turn in a, in a way that was not edifying to the person who you're speaking of, nor was it edifying to the person that you were speaking to. And so we have to ask ourselves as we think about this crucial reminder, are the words that I speak death sentences or are they life-giving? If you want to speak to somebody about a problem that they're having, who should you go speak to? The person that's having the problem. And if your heart is really for them, then your words will be life-giving. You'll say, how, how can I help you in this situation? What can I do? Or, or maybe it's pointing out an error in their lives that they don't even see yet. But that would be a life-giving scenario. So that's a crucial reminder that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Uh, it's interesting that James talks about the tongue as being full of poison, full of poison. And as we think of poison, even in Disney fairy tales, when the princess eats the apple, what happens? She dies. She dies. But Solomon is saying, but we have a choice. We can either speak life or we can speak death. And we have to consider the words that we speak uh, really in a moment-by-moment -moment basis. And I think that's where uh, the idea of pausing before we speak, um, listening more than we speak, listening to understand instead of responding all of those things come into play. Any thoughts on this idea of, of death and life? Nobody wants to speak tonight. Um, one thought that I enjoyed as I was studying is this idea that Solomon is reminding us that words are not neutral. And I think lots of times we think that they are, that it doesn't really matter what I say, but I think he would argue differently, that they're not neutral, that it's, it's not no man's land, but you're either over here or you're over here. You're either speaking life or you're either speaking death. All right, the next one then is a simple truth in Proverbs 10, 19. In the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. What is Solomon saying? He says the, the fool runs his mouth. He, he starts, what starts in truth, um, when you run your mouth long enough, is probably going to end in a what? Stretching of the truth. Who's ever heard of a fish story? You talk about that fish, and every time you talk about it, what happens? It grows just a little bit. It may not grow by much every time, but if it grows, you're, you're, you're not telling the whole truth. And so the, in the multitude of word, there wanteth not sin. Basically saying there's no lacking of sin. The more you speak, the, the chances are higher that you're going to sin. You're going to slip up. You're going to say something that is not true. But then what does he say? He says, he that refraineth his lips is wise. The ESV says, whoever restrains his lips is prudent. And I like the idea of restraining your lips or refraining from speaking. Um, and again, this is probably an area that we struggle in. Um, I've shared my, my concern for the upcoming election. Do you know there's a lot of things in election season that Christians should just restrain their lips from saying? You can vote however you want to vote. I think how you vote should line up with the Word of God. That's harder to do as the world goes on, right? 
with the candidates that we're given and the choices that are before us. Um, but even in speaking of a political candidate, probably the less we speak, the better. Um, it's interesting that we're told to honor those who are in authority. Why? Because they're in authority by whose governance? God's governance. God can do great things with wicked kings. That blows our mind, right? And so maybe we need to be cautious of how we speak. Um, and the more we speak, probably should understand that we're going to find ourselves getting in trouble. And so we shouldn't be the fool who runs his mouth. Even if what we're saying is true in the beginning, before you know it, we probably are going to find ourselves in some communication that Paul would then say is corrupt. And we want to avoid that. We want to refrain from that as believers, so we restrain our lips. Any thoughts on this verse? Nikki. Maybe that was the right thing, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Brianna is good about that when we're having a discussion. We don't argue ever, but we have discussions, and her phrase often would be, um, I don't think we should talk about this right now. But in the moment, I want to talk about it, right? And why do I want to talk about it? Because I want to win. I want to win whatever the discussion is, regardless of how big or small it is, and truthfully, we would all be better at times to say, I don't think we should talk about this right now. Let, let ourselves cool off and then come back um, when we've had time to think and process. Um, because as I said earlier, in those times where we're frustrated, that's when we're listening to respond instead of listening to understand. And when we listen to respond, we're bound to hurt the other person. And so if, if I'm just running off at the mouth thinking how I can convince her that I'm right, and oftentimes, if we're honest, we, we resort to being unkind when we're trying to be right, um, then that's a bad scenario. That's a bad combination of, of uh, things happening in our heart and in our mind. And so um, maybe we should refrain our lips or restrain our lips a little more and not be the fool who just talks incessantly. Anybody else? All right, moving on to the next one. Proverbs chapter... 10 and verse 32, he gives us a wise word. He says, the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked spread, spread, uh, speaketh frowardness, uh, similar to the last one. Uh, but the, those who are righteous, those who have a relationship with God, we know what's right. How many of us have crossed the boundary of our own heart and mind when our conscience is saying, conscience is saying, don't say that. The Spirit of God is saying, don't say that. 
and we cross the line because in the moment we think it's going to make us feel good. Solomon says the, the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked speaketh frowardness, foolishness, speaks things that, that don't need to be spoken. And I like, as we've, we've talked in Proverbs, who would the righteous be? Well, the righteous would be those who live in the fear of the Lord, who have knowledge of the Holy One, who have understanding uh, when it comes to uh, what the Bible would have to say and what God would want from us. And so the righteous allow the Lord to guide their thoughts, and in guiding their thoughts, the righteous then allow the Lord to guide their words. Any thoughts on this one about the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable? Annie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Some people just like to argue though. It's it's very true. Um all right, we're going to keep cruising through. Um I'm going to jump around a little bit cuz it's already that went by fast. I'm glad you guys didn't have much to say. Um Okay, uh Proverbs 11:13 a good truth to remember is a talebearer tale bearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. Whose secrets should you and I reveal? Our own secrets. Not somebody else's secrets. Do you want people to come to you and be somebody they can trust? I think we all do. I think we all want to be known as a trusted person. Well, who controls that? We do. We're either revealing the secrets that have been given to us by other people, or we're faithful and we're concealing the matter. Now, concealing the matter doesn't mean covering up. If somebody comes to you and says, hey, I robbed a bank last night, don't tell anybody. Well, that wouldn't be a very good friend to sit back and say, I'm not telling a single soul, right? Um, we were watching a show last night, and, and a similar scenario happened, and uh, the guy finally had to come clean because he couldn't hold it in any longer. He had to tell on his friend. And that's what a good friend would do. If, if your friend has messed up, you would try to help them. But if they've broken the law and they've murdered somebody, probably the best thing for them at that point is to say, hey, we've got to turn you in, right? I, I'm going to turn you in if you don't turn yourself in. But when it comes to people that are sharing their hearts or their burdens um, or even the things that they struggle with that are not illegal but they're still sinful, um, our best bet in those situations would be to pray for them, not talk about them, because talking about them won't change a thing. Um, we're going to move on to Proverbs twelve eighteen. 18. Uh, it says, there is that speaketh like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. So if we think of the piercing of a sword, certainly um, that would be a negative thing. And oftentimes words are used to cut, words are used to destroy uh, words are used to tear down, um, but the tongue of the wise, Solomon says, is health. It gives life, which goes back to what we said a few minutes ago, that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And so how do we speak? Is it to pierce somebody or is it to bring them to help? Well, what about the Bible being a two-edged sword? Well, that's piercing the deepest part of us. Why? So that we true change can come through the Word of God and through the Spirit of God. The piercing of the sword here is not a good piercing. It's, it's me using my words as a weapon against you. Uh, the, the 
piercing of the sword in Hebrews would be a, a good piercing, a positive piercing, cutting away the things that shouldn't be there. And so how are, how are we speaking? Like a piercing sword? Or are we speaking with a tongue that would give help to those that we're speaking to? Um, oh, let's see. Nine, 659. We'll do one more, I guess. I've got to find a good one. I guess we'll end on the last one. So Sol- I can give you the notes if you want more of these. I had several more. But Solomon, as I said, he gives these comparisons, life and death, uh, um, injury and help. Um, the, the one who conceals a matter would be a faithful spirit. The one who reveals a matter would, would be a gossip, basically. And all these things in the negative are things that could be tied back to Proverbs 6, which Solomon says, the Lord hates these things. He hates these things. He hates these things. Be mindful of that truth and how you speak to your kids and how you speak to your spouse and how you speak to, to the cashier at the gas station or the grocery store, uh, the server at the restaurant. Um, be mindful of how you speak because you're either giving life or, or you're speaking death. Uh, be mindful of how you speak. And then the last one that we're going to end on is, is this, that, that, that words, though we often, at least tonight, have thought, thought of them in the negative, the harm that they can bring. I love what Proverbs 25.11 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. They're, they're framed this, this beautiful apple of gold is framed in something that's, that's also very valuable. They're not framed with pretense. They're not framed in pride or arrogance. You're not saying flowery things so that you can get something in return. You're saying positive things, life-giving things, because they're coming from your heart that has been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you understand, do we understand that we have the power because of the spirit that lives inside of us, to speak life to other people, to speak encouraging words, to speak words that would point them to the God that we know that maybe they don't know. And yet so often we choose the alternative. We choose to go down a different path. Um, I think about that even with my own children. We, we, as I, we went away a couple days last week, and I, I thought to myself, you know, I really want every interaction with my kids over these three days to be a positive interaction. Why? Why would I want that? Because I want them to think back in 10 years and say, hey, remember that trip we took to Pennsylvania? We had the best time. Now, is there times where we had to correct our kids? Certainly. But isn't it true that correction can even be a positive interaction? If it's, if it's done with a, a right heart, it can be. To show them that you have your, their best interest in mind, that you want the family to enjoy the trip, not just them to enjoy the trip as they're being crazy in the back of the car and you want to pull over. No, I'm just joking. Um, and so Solomon says that our, our word should, a word fitly spoken, a word that speaks life, a word that that is of tremendous value, is like an apple of gold in a picture of silver. It's framed in a delicate way, and it's framed in a beautiful way, and it gives life to those around us. Paul reminds us in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. How do we speak the right things? We have hearts that are filled with the right things. 
Again, this is why, and this is not uh, a, a topic of, of entertainment, but that's why it is important to be careful what we allow into our hearts. Why? Because eventually it's going to come out of our mouths. Paul also says, and we've referenced this verse already in Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. We have four kids, and all of our four kids respond differently to, to, uh, to punishment. Um, some of the kids we can just look at, and they repent in sackcloth and ashes, and, you know, they fast for seven days. Um, other kids, you have to take them outside the city gates, and uh, bad things happen outside the city gates in the New Testament, Right? But, but you have to know who you're speaking to. You have to know how you're speaking to them. And in every one of those scenarios, while some kids you may have to be a little firmer with, that's how they're going to understand the heart of love for them. Some kids you need to be a little softer with them, and, and that's going to show them that you have a heart of love for them. And the same is true with every interaction we have in this world. Some people are thick-headed, like me. You've got to speak plainly and clearly, and I'll understand it. Some people you just, you just say, hey... And in the hay, they know they've done something wrong, and it's all over. And so our words matter. Our words matter. Think about that idea that you speak between six and 16,000 words a day. In your lifetime, you'll speak 860 million words. And how are we using those words? Are, are they words that would promote the goodness and graciousness of God towards us? Or are they words that would be condemning and, and a death sentence to those who hear Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you for this time. We do ask, um, God, that you would work in our hearts as we think about the words that we speak. God, help us to not shy back when harsh or strong truths need to be spoken. But even as we speak those truths, God, I, I pray that we would do it with a sincere heart of love towards those who are listening. And God, I pray as we receive words, that we would receive them with a heart as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 13, that believes the best about the speaker. That, that we wouldn't think of words as they're spoken to us and automatically criticize the speaker because we don't like what the speaker is saying. But God, help us to be sincere in our hearing as well, that, that we would receive what is given to us, that, that you would use it to change our lives to look more like your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for what you've given us uh, through this summer as we've looked through the Proverbs. And God, I pray... Uh, that we would seek to apply these things to our lives, that our lives would bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.